Well, uh, Jesus is better is a term that we have used in Impact City Church for the past few years. And it's sort of a uh, kind of anthem for us. We try to uh, live it out every day, and everything that we believe rolls down to that one statement that Jesus is better. Whenever we feel selfish in the ways that we live, whenever we feel like we deserve more than what we actually are given, we remind ourselves that Jesus is better. Whenever we feel like we cannot keep going on the path that we're on, we remind ourselves that Jesus is better. Whenever we feel like life just sucks and everything is going against us, we remember, remind ourselves that Jesus is better. And then also, on the flip side, when things are going great, when things are going good, we remind ourselves that Jesus is ultimately better than our best days. Amen? Amen. Good afternoon. You guys are looking good today. If you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 66. If you don't have your Bibles or some under your chairs, you can look around and get one in there. Um, there's also going to be some on the screen behind me. And also, if you're one of those tech-savvy type dudes, you can log on to our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash church. And the scripture today is actually just posted. You can go ahead and log in and say, and check in actually and share that page with someone you know. Say, look at all the great things that Jesus is doing here at Impact City Church. They went out to the hood yesterday and they had a good time. So we're going to be wrapping up the last few verses here in chapter 14, the Gospel of Mark. And it's a story that we've been looking at uh, for the past few years. You've been in the Gospel of Mark for the past two and a half years. It's going to be a great uh, ending. It's gearing up to that. But here we're wrapping up chapter 14. And today we're looking at a story that if you've been in church any amount of time in your life, you've probably heard this story before. It's a story that you've probably been uh, aware of, you've been exposed to. But today we're looking at the day that Peter denied Jesus. The moment where Peter denied Jesus. Now, for those of you who don't know who Peter is, Peter is one of the 12 disciples. But he's not just any old disciple of Jesus. Peter is one of Jesus' closest disciples. He's one of the, the chosen three. He's one of the ones that was always around Jesus. A few chapters back, Peter was actually one of the three disciples that Jesus called to go up to the mountain and see him being transfigured into all of his glory. And it was a preview uh, trailer, so to speak, to the greatest movie ever, which is the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter was a part of that. He was only three disciples that were chosen. Peter was part of that. He was also part of the three that Jesus called to go further up the, uh, the way to the gates of the Garden of Gethsemane. And he told them, you guys stay right here. You three bros, stay right here. I'm going to go pray. I need you to be praying for me right here. And then they fell asleep. And Jesus would come back. And like, you guys are sleeping. Wake up. And then he would go pray more. And he'd come back. And they were still sleeping. But Peter was part of those chosen three. The other disciples stayed at the front. Peter and three disciples went, over, uh, went ahead. Peter, James, and, and John went further ahead. And were actually there closer to Jesus. Now, side note. Peter being one of Jesus' closest disciples is a great example of what biblical community looks like in our lives. Okay, let me just kind of throw this out there. Um, as a church, we gather together in a large group on Sundays. Okay, <laughs> This is the example of Jesus in the temples. In the, in the, in the temple, he's gathering with the crowds. He's gathering with a bunch of people. As a missional city group. Do you gather with a lot smaller group, okay? This is the people that gather here in the mornings. This is the people gather, you know, uh, on Wednesday nights at my house. There's a group of about 8 to 12 adults 
which is just like the 12 disciples and their families that followed Jesus around. That was their missional community, their small group. And then whenever uh, it gets even further to the two to three adults like Jesus had, that's what we call a life transformation group. That's when two to three men or two to three women gather together on a weekly basis to hold each other accountable, to grow in discipleship, and to mature as believers. That's a life transformation group. It's a very awesome group. Uh, we'll fix and get those started up here pretty soon again at FXC Church. But those of you who have been a part of that group, it's a very real group. It requires a lot of commitment. That's why Jesus only had three of those guys in that group with him. Those are the closest ones. But that is a, a perfect example of community. And you can tell just by the history of what we've read so far in Mark that Peter is a pretty dedicated follower of Jesus. Okay? He's pretty dedicated to Jesus, but today, today you're going to see him kind of, you know, fall off the bandwagon a little bit. You're going to see a not-so-dedicated version of Peter, and in quite the difference, he's going to be not-so-dedicated. He's going to deny Christ. If you remember last week, we read that Jesus was been arrested, and he was standing trial in front of the courts, in front of the, the chief priests and the high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and all those guys, the elders of the church. He was standing trial before them. Okay, and it's in this courtyard, in the middle of, of all of this going on, it's in this courtyard that we find Peter today. And we said that Peter, a couple weeks ago, that he was following Jesus, and he followed him into the courtyard, and it was kind of cold, and so it was a nighttime moment, and so he actually gathered around the fire of, of the courtyard. There was temple guards there that were guarding, and he was warming himself with the temple guards, which is a totally different sermon. For another day, but that's where he was, and that's where we find him today. He's in around a fire, a bonfire, a little, little covered of fire, and he's sitting there getting warm. And it's in this moment that we find ourselves today. If you have your Bibles, let's start reading in Mark chapter 14, verse 66. 1466. It says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls, which is a slave girl, a servant girl of a high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You are one, are one, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he didn't but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And a little, after, a little while further, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself. That if you know that means he began to actually start cussing and get uh, upset. He was cursing himself. He was getting really angry at the fact that they were calling him out on this. He began to invoke a curse on himself. And, to, and he began to swear. And he said, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. He broke down and he wept. Peter here has just denied Jesus three times in a row, as Jesus had just predicted just a few hours earlier. But it's kind of surreal. Like it's kind of hard to believe because this guy, Peter, this guy, Peter, was so dedicated to Jesus. This is the guy that was 
dedicated to Jesus. How can a guy who is so dedicated to Jesus deny him not once, not twice, but three times? I mean, this is Peter we're talking about. You all know Peter. If you've been in Bible school or if you've been in, in kids ministry, you've learned about Peter all your life. This is the same Peter who was so close to Jesus that, that, that he was such a vital part of the ministry. This is Peter. This is the guy who got the church going in the, the New Testament and grew the church. This is the same Peter who wrote First and Second Peter. This is the same Peter who was so vital in the Christian life. This Peter was so important. If you look back in Scripture, he's been there for it all. He's been there for it all. He was always with Jesus. He was so close to Jesus. This is the same guy. This guy who denied Jesus three times is the same guy who three years earlier was on a fishing boat with his dad and his brother, and Jesus walked up. He's like, hey, come follow me. And Peter jumped out and swam across the shore. This is Peter. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. It's the same guy who, whenever the disciples um, asked, uh, they were walking with Jesus, and Jesus looked at the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they were like, man, Jesus, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. But who do you say that I am? And Peter stood up boldly and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Professed it truly and on that rock. Jesus said, on this rock, on this statement that you just gave me. Not you, Peter, but on the statement that you just gave me, I will build my church on the statement of thousands upon millions upon billions of more believers in the future. I will build my church on that statement that I am the Christ, the one and only Son of God. Peter was really connected to him. Peter was claiming that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter said, and then Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Did I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Beautiful. And the last part's awesome. It says, and the gates of hell will not overturn it. That should just pump you up right there. This guy, Peter, who denied Jesus three times, was the same guy that was with Jesus when there was a crowd following Jesus. Jesus had been uh, healing thousands of people. He had just fed 5,000 people, which is really more like 15,000 because there was just 5,000 men. Every man has a wife. Most men have wives and kids. And if you're Hispanic, you got like tons of kids. And so they're like following Jesus around. And there was probably about you know, 13 to 15,000 people there with them. And Jesus is walking and they're following Jesus. And he turns and he says the most radical, offensive statement that he could ever say to them. And I'll tell you what it is a little later in the sermon. But after he said that, everyone ran away. All of this, all the people who were following Jesus did not like what he said, and they went away. And he turns to his 12 disciples. He said, hey, boys, you're going to leave me too? And Peter stands up, and he says, where are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? For you alone are the word of life. This Peter understood it for the most part. This guy, Peter, was dedicated to Jesus. This guy, Peter, chopped off the ear of a soldier for Jesus. This guy, Peter, fought for Jesus. This guy, Peter, loved Jesus. So that begs the question, and this is the question that just has stumped me for a while. What happened to Peter? Like, what happened to him that would cause him to deny Jesus three times? What happened to him? I think when we find the answer to that question, we will see the answer 
to our own question, because as humans, we can love Jesus so much. And we can go out and we can read our Bible every day. And we can go out and we can pray every day. And we can do mission and do, do trips of that every day. And we can even wear the cool t-shirts from Mardell. We can, we can be all cool and we can be the person that like posts the Instagram pictures and I'm reading my Bible and my coffee all day long. We can do that. But at the end, sometimes us too, we deny Jesus from day to day. If we figure out why Peter did that, I think we can figure out why we do it. You know, I see a couple of things in Peter's life here that led up to this night. Looking at the scriptures, we can see that Peter was a very devoted follower of Jesus. We just talked about that. But we also can see that he was also following Jesus with reckless abandon. He was also a very radical follower of Jesus. Put it to you shortly, he was probably a more dedicated follower of Jesus than anyone in this room, including myself. And we do a lot of great things. But this guy walked with Jesus. This guy hung out, slept, fellowshiped with Jesus. So again, what the heck happened to Peter? What happened to him? Jesus was arrested. He's standing before the council. And the highly dedicated follower of Jesus, who just moments ago cut a guy's ear off for him, decides to give it all away because a little a little 13 little, little girl said, hey, you're, you must know Jesus. And he said, I don't know that guy. He denied him three times. What happened to Peter? I think the answer to that can be found in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1. Now, let me give you a little background to what's going on here uh, as we get ready to read this in the book of, of Acts. At this point, Jesus has been crucified, um, and he's been uh, buried, and he's been raised from the dead. Three days later, he rose up from the dead. He has spent... 40 days with his disciples and having fellowship with them. He's been showing up and being uh, witnessed by over 500 witnesses that he is still alive in this moment and is here. And we're finding him addressing his disciples one last time before he ascends back up into heaven. One last time before he ascends back up to heaven. Now let me ask you a question. If you have been with Jesus for three years, You've walked with the guy, you've hung out with the guy for three years, okay? And you've just seen him be kind of murdered and crucified. You see him go into the tomb, and three days later, he shows up in your house, okay? And, he, and you're freaking out, and then the way your, your buddy Thomas goes up and puts his finger into the wounds on the side, to his wrist. If that is you, and you've spent 40 days with this guy afterwards, hanging out, fellowship, and eating milk with this guy, after he's been risen from the dead, and you're standing on the edge of a mountain that he's fixing to be ascending back up into heaven, if that is the last moment that you're going to have with this guy, what do you say? Like, what do you say to this guy? Like, yeah, like, nothing. I don't know. I'm like, uh, you know? Well, maybe you might say nothing. Maybe you'd be a little dumbfounded. Maybe you would say thank you. Hey, thanks, Jesus, for everything you've given me. Or maybe you say something kind of like, you know, like that moment comes and you're about to like say goodbye to the love of your life. And you're like, see you around. You know, like maybe you just kind of blow it like that, you know. Or maybe something like, you know, we love you. Maybe you just fall on your knees and start kissing his feet. Maybe something awesome. Maybe you go ghetto. We say like, man, we, we got this. We got this, Jesus. Go on. Go on to heaven. We got this. We're good. Okay. And you guys didn't laugh at that. I thought, I thought maybe we were going to in heaven. But whatever it is, you could have picked any one of those things, but the disciples didn't do that. No. 
disciples said something a whole lot more dumb and a whole lot more goofy. The dudes decided to ask Jesus something so goofy and so dumb that Jesus, I'm sure, did this. Just snap his head. No, dude, are you serious? Like That's what you got to say for me before I go up? Look at the last thing the disciples said. Uh, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. We can go from verse 4 to verse 6. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard me, you heard from me, for which John for John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, he asked them, Lord, they asked him, this is what they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what they said. They're like, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that. If you can please underline the words to Israel in your Bibles, because it's in these two words that you will understand why this was such a dumb thing to say to Jesus. Let me explain. For the past three years, the disciples have followed Jesus. They've eaten with Jesus. They've hung out. They spent countless hours with Jesus. And during this time, Jesus was teaching them the whole time, guys, guys, I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. I am sent by God. I am the one who's here to save Israel. Okay? Now, the disciples were very good Jewish boys. They knew the first five books of the Bible. They knew scripture. And they had been taught all their lives. They were good Jewish boys. They were also very good traditional boys as well. But they were taught their whole life that this Messiah, this, this chosen one that was coming, was going to come and rule over all the nations. He was going to overtake the government that was Rome at the time, who was oppressing Israel, and he was going to raise Israel up to be this great nation again. Okay? He was going to free them from the oppression of the Romans, and they believed that this Messiah was going to be a strong political leader. One that was going to restore peace to the nations and rule Israel and make Israel this great, awesome nation again. Now, the disciples thought this in their mind. And they knew that Jesus was Messiah. But what does a Messiah need? What does a ruler or a king need? He needs a few good men to stand beside him. He needs a few good men to rule the nation. So the struggle that the disciples had throughout the scripture was they were constantly, constantly fighting to see who was going to be at Jesus' right hand. They were always saying, Jesus, uh, you know, uh, am I the one? Uh, Jesus, uh, are we going to be the one? Who's, who is the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus? Who is the one? Who is going to be the one that Jesus picked to rule beside him? And Jesus would say stuff like, look, guys, look, y'all got it all twisted up in here. You got it all messed up. You're so, you just got it wrong. Yes, I'm the Messiah. Yes, I'm coming to rule over Israel and really rule over the whole world. But we're not going to do it. Through power and, and just war, we're going to do it through love. And they're like, what? And then he, he says stuff like, yeah, yeah, you want me to conquer the Romans? Like, you know, overthrow them with armies? I say let's conquer them with love. And they're like, what are you talking about? He goes, you want me to slay them down with a sword? I say pick up their sword and carry it two miles. And it just blew their minds. So for them, Jesus was, was saying something like this. For them to ask Jesus for something like this, like after he had been tortured, after he had been crucified, after he had been buried and raised 
from the dead. He's fixing to fly back up to heaven. He's fixing to ascend back up to heaven. And he's told them, you know, all this about that, all this about how he's Messiah, so they're going to go through love. And for them to ask him at the very end, hey, will you restore things back to Israel? Are you going to do it now? For all they're really saying to Jesus is, can you hook a brother up before you go, bro? Can you hook a brother up? Like, before you leave up to heaven, can you restore all that power that you had talked about, like now? Like, just, that when you're going to go, and the Romans are still in control, before you go, can you just kind of wipe them off the face of the earth so that we can live comfortable lives and be rulers of the nations of Israel? Can you do that for us? That is why that statement was so dumb, because three years, just I bet you Jesus was like, man, that's a down drain, man. I've just been, like, well, what happened to you guys, right? It just shows that after all of that, they still didn't get it. And you know, the, script, the scripture doesn't specifically say that Peter said it, but y'all know Peter said this. <laughs> like, you know Peter. Yeah. Peter's a goofball. Peter was a klutz. He was a knucklehead. He was always finding ways to mess things up, just kind of like me. You know, like he was always the one that would try so hard to do good by Jesus, but then he would mess up. So you know Peter was probably, he might even be the first one to say this. You know he was in that group. Peter being another head that he was must have said this, which brings me to believe this, that maybe the reason why Peter denied Jesus that night three times wasn't because he was scared, but maybe it was because this whole time Peter was actually following Jesus for what Jesus could do for him instead of actually just following Jesus for who Jesus was. I believe Peter wanted Jesus and I believe he also wanted Jesus for what Jesus could give him. But I think he wanted the latter more than he wanted the first. On that night when he saw Jesus getting arrested, he freaked out. He freaked out. He kept someone zero off. He went all angry and got all upset because I could just imagine that he was sitting there looking at Jesus getting put in shackles thinking, there goes my Messiah. There goes all of our hope. Why didn't he overthrow this guy? Why didn't he do the thing that he said he was going to do? There goes my hero. Not to quote the Foo Fighters, but there goes my hero, and he's gone. I can imagine all the things that Peter had in his mind were just gone. Broken dreams. This man who was on fire for Jesus was now broken, disheartened, disappointed, and hopeless. And in Peck City Church. Let me tell you this. This could be you or me. This could be you or me. Let me ask you something. Why do you follow Jesus? Seriously. Why do you follow Jesus? If the answer is anything more than simply because of Jesus, you need to rethink some things in your life. There's some reorganization in your heart that needs to happen. Maybe you're following Jesus for his protection. Maybe you just want Jesus to protect you. And the Lord just pleads that every day I just pray that you would just protect me. Don't let anything bad happen to me. And that's why I'm following Jesus. Maybe you're following Jesus for a promise of a blessing. Maybe you want the blessing of, of health and wealth and success and all that good stuff like that. And you're like, Jesus, I just I never want to be sick. I never want to be poor. I never want to struggle. I never want any of those things. Lord, I'm following you because I know if I follow you, if I read my Bible, if I say my prayers, 
but do all these things. I know, Lord, that you have promised that I will be healthy, wealthy, and successful. Maybe you're following Jesus because it seems cool at the time. This is a cool thing to do. Like you like telling people, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. I go to that church where the pastor yells a lot. He has spiky hair. It's a pretty cool thing. I go to church, like, you know, they get crazy up there. They play triple E. I go to that church. Or maybe you're like that. that I always like fun of, I've always like picking on these people. Maybe you're the person that likes to take a picture of his Bible or her Bible with the coffee mug. And you're like, oh, I am beautifully made, you know, and put it on Instagram. You like the Instagram Bible girl? You know, maybe that's you and you think it's really cool, okay? Now, look, all of these things are not bad, okay? If you're the Instagram Bible girl, I'm sorry. I'm just picking on you. I, if you look at my Instagram, I have pictures of my Bible and my coffee as well. I, I have become the Instagram Bible girl at times. <laughs> but none of these things are necessarily bad. It's not bad to want good health. It's not bad to want protection. It's not bad to be showing people, look, Jesus is awesome. Look, I'm reading my Bible. This is the greatest thing in my life, and you need to know about it. It is not bad to follow Jesus because Jesus is a really cool guy. It's not bad to want that, but whenever we want that over just Jesus himself, that is when we become idol worshipers. See, Jesus puts it like this. If you would, turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. All these things are good, but when these become the foundations that we grow on, we will notice that we cannot grow on foundations like that. The greatest foundation we can grow on is the foundation of Jesus. And in our lives, we will meet people like that. But what Jesus talks about here in chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 4. He's talking to his disciples. He's telling them about this parable about a guy who's throwing seed. He's talking to this whole crowd. And he says this. This is a parable. And he sowed, which means to plant seeds. He sowed some seed, and they fell along the path, and the birds came, and they devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, and they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched by the heat. And since they had no root, they withered away. Then he said this, the other seeds fell along among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and they choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirtyfold. Later on, Jesus is with his disciples, and the, his disciples pull him aside, and they're like, man, can you explain that to us, Jesus? Like, that was like that was cool. We just didn't understand it. And Jesus said this about the prayer. So I should explain it. Down to verse 18, Matthew 13, verse 18. It says, hear then the parable of the sower. It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This is the one time about the birds that come and snatch up the seed. Okay, it says that these are the people in church, these are the people that you share the gospel with, but they choose to ignore it. They choose to ignore it, not let it take root in their life. And then the enemy comes along and entices them with something else, and it's snatched away by the enemy. These are those type of people. If you've been in church, you might know someone like that. Keep going on. Uh, he continues to explain the parable. So I, want, I want this next part to kind of stick with us today. This is the one I want us to really look at. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with 
joy, verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulations or persecutions arise on account of the world, of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the, but when the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, they come and they choke out the word, and it provides proofs to be unfruitful. What we see here is exactly what happened to Peter. And sadly, if we're honest with each other, it could happen to us. It's the truth that the real test of our faith is struggle. The real test of what we are growing, our, our faith is what we grow, is, is what we, how do we react and struggle. This is why saying that God never wants you to struggle is totally unbiblical. Because uh, through our struggles, our, test, our faith is tested and it grows stronger. So we mean the first Peter 1 3. You guys are getting a good tour of the Bible today. You know, it's funny because uh, later on in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes and it kind of falls on Peter and his disciples, and people think they're they're all maniacs, they think they're drunk because they're started talking in tongues, it gets all weird and crazy and Pentecostal up in there. You know, and it gets all crazy and Baptist someone can talk about that, but you know, it gets really crazy up in there, you know. And it's at that moment that the Holy Spirit falls on Peter and he starts to understand this. And I think it's because of that, because he was transformed, that in 1 Peter, he was able to say this about struggles. Because he understood what was going on. Peter says this. This is the best guy that explains to us. 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. To blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, that is unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith and through salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, look, guys, God is so good. He has saved us. He has made a way for us, and we are, he has caused us to be born again, and there is an inheritance that is being stored in heaven for us. Church, that means... And if you have given your life to Jesus, you're a child of the Most High God, and he has an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. Listen, you're a child of God, so act like it. So act like it. As Christians, we should be so excited about being adopted into this. Adoption is so uh, just a reflection of the gospel that we're to be adopted into the family of Jesus. And that is why we need to share the message of the cross with everyone. Just a little side note there. Sorry, Amy, Pastor, really bad. Peter goes on to keep saying this. Just in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genesis of your faith, more precious than gold, than more precious through. And oh, sorry, Peter says this. And Felix has had a lot of coffee today. <laughs> More precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is like, look, you're going to have trials. Look, it's awesome that God is so good. He has saved you. He has done great things. But listen, you're going to have trials and struggles here on earth, but that is okay. It's okay to go through those things because testing is the way we know if the seed that is planted in you will be growing or if the testing will be just it being scorched by the sun. 
seeing if the, the stand of a strong force will withstand the strong forces of winds. To see if it's deeply rooted in you when you're tested by the troubles of this world. You will see if, if your faith can withstand the cares of the world. The trouble that comes with living in a broken world. When you are tested, rejoice. Because it means that God is making sure that you are deeply rooted in him. Now listen, Jesus offers all of that but only through himself to us. If we have faith in anything else, we will be like these seeds that are not deeply rooted. When you place your faith in anything else, it will not withstand the, the scorching of the sun. It will not withstand the high force of the winds. Because anything else besides Jesus just does not last. It does not last. Jesus only gives us himself. That's all he gives you. That's all he offers you is himself. And for many, that's not enough. For many, it's not enough just to have Jesus. Remember I said that Jesus was being followed by a great crowd early in the message? Remember that? And he turns and he says something very offensive to him, to the whole crowd. And he makes the crowd so upset by what he said that they turned and they walked away. If you want to know what that is? Turn to John chapter 6. We said earlier that Jesus was feeding over 5,000 men. Five and kids included 13 to 15,000 people maybe. But they all wanted to follow Jesus. They all came up and they wanted to keep following Jesus. And Jesus turns to them. He says some of the most radical things he could ever say to people. The most radical things he could ever say to Jewish people at the time. It says this in verse 53. John 6, 53. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I abide in him. Jesus, listen, listen, listen. What you get is me. What you get is only me. You have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, which is symbolic to them. But what they were doing is they were following Jesus because they just got the free hookup on food. Like Jesus is over there feeding them with five loaves and two fish. And he's feeding all those people. And they're like, no, we need to stick with this guy. This guy is like better than, than Wick. This guy is better than the you know, Lone Star car. We got following this dude around, man. He's giving free food out. Hallelujah. We want some of this. And Jesus turns to him and he says, no, 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 no. If you want to follow me, what you get is me. He's told that to so many people. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was not seeker-friendly. Jesus was the type of guy that wanted to turn people away with the truth to see if they would be willing to stick with him. He says, you don't get to, to have those things. You know, you're not going to get the perfect job all the time following Jesus. You're not going to get that all the time. You're not going to get the, uh, the, 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 the healthy, you know, you know the, the perfect health all the time. You're just not. You're going to have sickness in your life. You're going to go through struggles. You're not going to have the family that's picture perfect all the time. You know those beautiful things about families, how messed up we are. Isn't that awesome? And the church is a perfect example of that. Every single one of us here is brothers and sisters in Christ. And we all struggle with something or another. But praise God that God is working in our lives. 
You're not going to have the perfect thing. You're not going to have the, the painless life. Like, you're not going to die in your sleep, probably. I'm pretty sure it's everyone's dream to just go to sleep one day and never wake up again. That way you don't have to suffer through death. Jesus says, you're not going to get that all the time. You might have to die for me. You might have to, this is all you get. All you get, following me means that all you get is me, Jesus. Now, church, here's the final question. I'll leave you with this before we pray. I want you to think about this. In your life, if in your life God decided to strip away all of your comforts and all of your pleasures, pleasures, will you still follow him? If in your life God decided to strip away all of your comfort and all of your pleasure, will you follow him? Will your lips still praise him? Will you still sing a song of praise to Jesus when you're struggling through something? Will you still do that? Or will, will you be like the prophet Jonah? What if he does you like the prophet Jonah? Prophet Jonah, in his room, Jesus comes to him, or a guy comes to him and says, I want you to go and be a prophet and go to this land and profess the word. And Jonah gets up and he goes, he's all excited. I'm on mission for Jesus. I'm on mission for God. Everything's great. You know, he's going to go do all these great things. And he never sees success in his ministry. I always ask people who want to be pastors, you always want to do this. They want to plant churches. And they have this idea that they plant a church and one year it's 100, and in two years it's 200, and in three years it comes to 400 people, and the church blows up like that. I mean, those are really rare cases. I always tell people, if you want to be a pastor, be willing to fail. If you want to be a pastor, be willing to see your church never grow over 100 people. 80% of the churches in America are less than 100 people. That is beautiful. We need more of those churches. To be closer, to be growing, to be in community. Let me ask you this. If God has called you to do something in ministry, are you willing to fail at it? He never saw any type of blessing for it. Or maybe maybe God will do you like he did Jonah. I mean, sorry, do you like he did Job. That's a harsh reality right there. Like, what if God calls you to do something and, and, and God says, I'm going to strip everything away from you. See, I, I, I said, will you praise God if he took everything away? I heard someone say, real quick, yes, I will. But seriously, how many of us have suffered the loss of a wife? The loss of everything you have. For those of you who have, you're a living testimony of that. You still praise Jesus. Praise God for you. But I think a lot of us are so comfortable with where we're at. Job lost everything. He lost his, his job, his, his lifestyle, his his, his, his home, all of his kids got, got, got murdered or killed by a tornado that blew down the house and everything came over, all his cattle, his, everything he had, and he, he, that wasn't enough. And so the enemy went back up to God and said, let me test him some more. And then God said, test him some more see how good he is. He's deep-rooted, man. And then he comes up and then Jonah, I mean, Job comes up and he's like this pain and he has this health problem. He's got like, like scabs and stuff on his, on his body. Would you still <laughs> praise God in that moment? Will you still praise God in that moment? Listen, the only way to know for sure is through struggle. The only way we can know that for sure is through struggle. Because I can sit here and I can tell you I will praise God for everything I do, but I will tell you what, I have not struggled much in my life. I'm not. And you know it's scary. Because for those of you who have not struggled much in your life, it's coming. No. You're either going through a valley, coming out of a valley, or you're 
fixing to go into a valley. And you're in a valley at the moment. One day, you will be tested in your faith. You will. Church, don't be so quick to lose faith in Jesus when that test comes. Don't be so quick to lose faith in Jesus when that test comes. Don't be so quick to turn away from God. And say, God doesn't love me. Look what he's doing to me. Look, I, I, I followed him because I wanted the, the best, you know, I wanted the best job. I wanted the best help. I wanted all these things. Look, it's not with me. God must not love me. Don't say that. It's a lie. Don't be so quick to leave the church. Like, oh, I just, I want to be a part of the church, but the church isn't doing good. You know what? I'm going to be like, just like all the other ministers and, and pastors that, that want to plant churches and they fail and they just leave the ministry and they have to go become like, Walmart readers or something like that, you know, like like that, like don't be that person. Continue and long suffer with the church. Don't be a person that goes to church and says, you know, I don't feel connected because I'm struggling and I'm, I just I'm gonna leave. Like, don't do that. Continue to go to the church. Don't stop reading the word. Don't allow the worries of the world to go around. Like, I'm so worried about my job, I'm so worried about school, I'm so worried about all this. I'm not even gonna take time to turn to the word. I'd rather just I'd rather just kind of, you know, just kind of veg out on Facebook or something like that. And listen, don't stop praising him through prayer and worship. Don't stop praising him through prayer and worship. If you're struggling with something, the best medicine that you can go through is, is worship. The best medicine you can go through. Whenever we were children of God, so as children of God, we have to worship God. And we, have, we go to our Father for help. Go to your Father. Worship him. But let's instead... Let's endure the struggles and the testing of our faith and enjoy them, grow through them, and continue to keep Jesus as the foundation of what we grow in and not anything else. Whenever the world tests you, praise him through it. Amen? Let's pray.